This week on Life and Faith. I am not an island. And because I am not an island, I should actually turn my life towards things other than my own interests. The interests of others, for instance, can become a good focal point. When you trust that another person is doing their best, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. None of us can guarantee staying somewhere forever. Cognitive ability became what I call the gold standard of human esteem. If I try being normal, what is it like? Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. And I'm Justine Toe. Well, Lent has arrived early this year, the six weeks leading up to Easter, that is. Ash Wednesday, which kicks off the season, fell on the 14th of February this year, which, of course, is also Valentine's Day. So the combination of the two made that Wednesday a day to think about love and romance, Justine, as well as the fact that we're all going to die. Yes. It's an interesting mix we have here today. Yes, I'm uh, trying to pretend valiantly that I am familiar with everything that you're talking about. I mean, Lent, Ash Wednesday, these are terms that I've heard often. Um, yeah, you're not across them. But I'm not really across them, which mm. does explain the existence of today's episode, Lent for Dummies. <laughs> I am the dummy. Okay. well, I'm about happy to, to claim that. <laughs> learn more about it. Right? How, how is it possible, Justine, that you've... That I've faked it for so around, long. <laughs> just, uh, I think churches for a long time. <laughs> Well, the only way I can think of it is that I became a Christian a bit later than the norm. So that's, I think the norm might be teenage years. I became a Christian in my early 20s. And my church experience since then has been rather what I believe is called low church, yeah. <laughs> which I'm like, what, what It's not earth? every tradition, of course, that celebrates things like Lent or the liturgical traditions and so on. Yeah, that's, so that's even words that's like... okay that you don't know all this stuff. Right, but even words like liturgical, I'm, I mean, I can barely say it for starters, <laughs> and then I'm just like, what? Anyway, so things like, you know, terms like low church, high church, I've had to pick this up as I've come along. Mm. Things like the Anglican prayer book and even seasons like Lent, like Advent... They're all pretty unfamiliar to me. And, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> and it's kind of funny considering my job, you know. Well, that's okay. It's, it's one part of church tradition, I guess. And sometimes people find these things very helpful. Other people are less into it. That's okay. I've written articles about this. I think you know this. <laughs> uh, explaining things like Lent and Ash Wednesday. And the way Ash Wednesday, I wrote about this last year, the way in which Ash Wednesday reminds us of at least three things, Justine. Our vulnerability, you're told, remember you are dust. Hmm. And so our vulnerability, also our culpability, the ways in which we sometimes contribute to the brokenness of the world, and also that our lives are but a breath. So they're all kind of sobering things. Except that the Easter story, as it's leading into Easter, of course, sheds a very important, different light on all of those things. But that's perhaps for a bit later. Sure. And I have appreciated reading that because, and I just haven't told anyone until now that that has actually been instrumental in making me able to just go along with it and be like, yeah, I I know about this. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) At this point in time, Justin, what do you know about Lent? What do I know? Well... I did give up sugar for Lent last year, so I know the very basic mm. info about Lent. How'd um, that go? 
Uh, yeah, not amazing. It was difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I really felt like I was in the wilderness without my sugar. But as a result of doing this interview, I know more than I did now. Um, but we don't need to talk any more about what I don't know. Let's talk about Matt Tan, who does know a lot about this. Um, we've had Matt on the podcast before. This is pre-COVID. So right. It was a long time ago. Um, he was talking about the metaphysics of pornography. That is a statement that requires some um, explaining, but we're not going to do that now. He goes by Awkward Asian Theologian on social media, if you want to check him out. So he's a theologian. These days, he lives in Wagga Wagga in regional New South Wales, where he's the Dean of Studies at Vianney College, a Catholic seminary. Now, Matt's going to explain more about Lent, but because I know about the giving up part, I started the interview by asking, what's he giving up for Lent? As a person born in Singapore, it's very, very hard for me to want to give this up, but I'm going to give up shopping. Uh, <laughs> okay, you know, right. You know, so, Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> yeah, Singaporeans and, you know, Singaporeans and shopping kind of go together. It's almost uh, part of our DNA. So to give up shopping as a Singaporean-born um, Australian is going to be a hard task. It's a genuine sacrifice. Okay. It's, absolutely. But what kind of shopping are you giving up? You can't stop shopping for food, for of example. Of course, of yeah. course. I mean, I'll, I'll always go on supply runs. And that's how I think about going to the shops for my everyday needs. They are supply runs. Yeah. Uh, what I'm talking about here are the kinds of acts of everyday browsing and purchases for things that do not necessarily help sustain my life as such. They are frivolities, right? Yeah. They are things that I aspire to get to feed some image of myself mm. rather than actually feed the true self, right? One of the things that I'm going to try and abstain from so that I don't feed this part of myself that I wish I could be yeah. is the act of shopping. Because mm. shopping basically is, a, to my mind, an act of formation of uh, feeding a fantasy, a fantasy version of yourself. Mm. Right? And more often than not, you'll be spending countless hours um, not just getting those things that feed the fantasy version of yourself, but also be spending countless hours browsing through the possible ways in which you can yeah. feed them. So there's, there's so much potentiality out there yeah. that shopping kind of feeds into. Yeah, and you don't even need to go to a shopping centre. You no. could just browse using no. your phone. I can just flick my phone on and yeah. I'll be doing shopping. Mm. Um, so because it's such a pervasive part of our digital environment and also because it's such an integrated part of our everyday life. And the economy, right? And the economy. Yeah. It becomes very hard in a way to get away from it. Yeah. So one of the things that I could do is just be aware that I am plugged into it but I do not necessarily have to accede to it. Yes. This is a season, perhaps, where you can be aware of that. Mm -hmm. You can make different choices and there's probably some spiritual growth Absolutely. as well. And in a way, this kind of goes into the deeper meaning of Lent, right? I mean, the, the exterior phenomenon of Lent is the giving up of stuff. And one of the things to note about Lent is that Lent is not simply about giving things up but that we are giving things up or sacrificing something in order to turn our attention to what actually matters in life. Mm -hmm. And what actually matters in life is not the things that we acquire. It is actually our own being, and our own being hangs on the life of Jesus Christ. And so the time of Lent is a time of turning away from those things that could distract us from our attention to Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the positive side, the constructive side of that is to then turn towards 
Jesus Christ, right? As the psalm says, look towards him and be radiant. And so the subtext to all of that is that in turning your attention to Jesus Christ, that is when you really live life. That is when one is truly alive. So there's both a positive and a negative side. The negative mm. is the giving something up, but it's not just giving something up for the sake of it. It's an actually embracing of something Absolutely. substantial. And, and, and if you lose sight of the constructive side, the positive side of Lent, and just focus on the, uh, the negative yeah. aspect of it, the giving up, in a way you kind of take what is secondary and then treat that as primary. And that becomes a distraction unto yeah. itself. Matt explained that the 40-day period of Lent was an echo of the 40 years the nation of Israel wandered in the desert after God liberated them from slavery in Egypt. What happens in that time of the 40 years is a testing of Israel's dedication to God. In a way, Lent is a kind of carryover of that, a turning away from what we treat to be the things that are most important in life, and turning towards that which really, really is important in life, which is being embraced by the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. At the heart of it all, Lent is the period whereby we are trying to give up our sovereignty over our own life and recognize the reality that our lives are not our own. Our lives are given to us by God. And because they are given to us by God, Lent is the period where we really intentionally give our lives back to God for him to do whatever he wills. That 40 years Israel spent in the desert was itself echoed in Jesus' life, Matt said. The story goes that before beginning his public life and ministry, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and being tempted by the devil to embrace earthly power and riches. Jesus, however, resists temptation. So we can think of Lent as a willing entry into a desert-like experience, a time of testing and endurance, but also spiritual growth. Now, Matt says he's given up shopping for Lent. I'm giving up sugar, which I am addicted to. But because I've given it up before, I know how much it's going to hurt. 8pm is my witching hour. But acknowledging the struggle is apparently all part of the Lenten experience. Fasting, which is one of the sacrifices that we undertake in the time of Lent, is meant to be a time of attuning our senses, attuning our intuitions towards that deep hunger within ourselves that can only be satisfied by our participating in God's life. So we think of you know, the sacrifices that we have to make, and very often we don't like it. There is a discomfort in making these sacrifices. And that discomfort in and of itself is also meritorious. Why? Because you are also reminding yourself of what happens at the end of Lent. The end of Lent culminates in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we are experiencing in that sense of deprivation is in a way a small little sliver, a small little echo of what is going to happen to Jesus Christ at the mm. end of that period of Lent. Is it tempting then to be ambitious about what you want to give up? Because the smallness, mm. right, of that sacrifice, mm. like me giving up chocolate mm -hmm. and Jesus gave up his life, yep. these two are not of the same order. But no. is the smallness significant as well? A friend of mine said this to me just a few days ago, which I thought was really, really true. He says, what you are least aware of is what is most the reality in your life. What are you least aware of is yeah. the most In, in other words, what you think is insignificant yeah. has a greater part in shaping your life, oh, yeah. shaping your intentions than yep. you would dare to realize. So in a way, 
you it's know, the habits, right? It's our habits, yeah. exactly, which unconsciously orient us towards particular things or dull our senses towards mm. that which is most important. Yeah. So the, I don't think there is anything wrong with giving up small things. If anything, the small things put together may actually be a very influential architecture yeah. in shaping your heart, shaping your mind, yeah. and directing where your thoughts and actions mm. go. Going back to your point about being ambitious, I don't think there is actually any harm in being ambitious in your sacrifices in Lent. I know of people who are going to, you know, as we get towards the colder months, going to be giving up things like hot showers for Lent. Oh, wow. You know, I can never go down that no, path. No, that's right. You're um, Asian. We just don't do that. Absolutely. No. We do not do that. <laughs> um, so that is a manifestation of a kind of ambition to be able to want to sacrifice more than you are used to for the sake of your love of God. And that's the thing that's important. If the ambition basically is to just be some kind of endurance test, mm. then in a way you kind of miss the point. Uh, what the point is, is that you are doing this sacrifice, What it can be small, it can be great, but doing so whilst orienting your heart towards the desire to please God. Mm. I'm doing this because I am aware of my own limitations in my own heart to want to love you and I want to love you better. And if it means that I can give up something that is greater in order to, you know, realize that desire to love you better, then in a way, that is where the ambition becomes meritorious. Yeah. If it's aimed towards self-improvement or aimed towards, oh, look how much I have sacrificed. Right. Then in a way, you kind of miss the point. You're listening to Life and Faith, and Justine is learning about Lent from Catholic theologian Matt Tan. And so far, Matt has framed Lent as a religious practice, one that echoes or kind of throws back to other times of desert testing in Jewish and Christian history. But does he think the season holds any appeal for someone who would describe themselves as agnostic? Just to get a little bit nerdy for a moment, there is this um, scholar priest by the name of Luigi Giussani, and he wrote a book called The Religious Sense. And he says that deep down inside, every one of us, regardless of religious persuasion or lack of religious persuasion, is always hungry for an experience of reality in its fullness. We want to experience the truth of things in their entirety. Now, that is something that will affect us regardless of whether we are religious or not. So I think there is still something that Lent has to offer for the non-religious, which is the turning of the person back to reality, mm. right? I made a mention before that my acts of shopping are feeding a fantasy of what I think I am, yeah. and it's not the real me, right? So giving up shopping, in a way, is an exercise in helping me turn back towards the real me, yeah. the reality of who I am. And of course, as a Christian, I recognize that who I am is a creature made by God, and therefore my life is not my own. Um, now, for those who are not religious, you could say that part of the reality of who I am is that I am not my own person. I am not an island. And because I am not an island, I should actually turn my life towards things other than my own interests. Mm. The interests of others, for instance, can become a good focal point. Yeah, in that season. That's right. And yeah. so... That's why in the period of Lent, it's not just about sacrifice, it's also about almsgiving. You can, on the negative side, sacrifice or give up something. 
But on the positive side, and usually this is the harder thing to fulfill, the positive side is that you should actually turn your efforts towards some kind of arms giving some kind of you mean doing charitable, some kind, yeah, some kind of charitable, else. yeah, something charitable for someone else. Mm. Not a lot of people, including not a lot of Christians, do that. They always focus on the giving up of things because that's the easier thing to do. Why do you think that is? Because it actually requires an investment of self that is very uncomfortable. Even like, more uncomfortable than... I think even more uncomfortable than our ache for sugar. More uncomfortable than our ache for shopping. More uncomfortable is stepping out of your comfort zone to be able to help another person. Mm. Because helping another person very often may not be comfortable. Yeah. It may take us more than just one simple act yeah. to help another person. It may take maybe several or even our entire lifetime of charitable acts to help another person. Feel intimidated yet? Fear not. Matt stresses that while the almsgiving part of Lent might feel uncomfortable, it's still achievable. Just think of something that you would habitually have on a daily basis that is not a necessity, but you just kind of do it because it is part of your day. It could be a cup of coffee, it can be your, your biscuit at morning tea, and then just think of foregoing that. And not just foregoing that and just not being aware of it, but foregoing that and being aware that you are doing this for something. And this is where the positive side of Lent comes in, the constructive side, that you are doing this in order to orient yourself towards somebody other than yourself. And by denying yourself these things, you are then also orienting yourself towards others and towards God. Now, on the more constructive side, you can consider giving up the portion of money that you would have spent on that little distraction and you know, make a micro donation to some charity. Mm. Um, yeah, so that in a way, you're kind of making sure that there's an intentionality to it and an intentionality to somebody other than yourself. There are three parts to Lent, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Matt prays what's called the Liturgy of the Hours, or prayer at certain times, reflecting the rhythms of the day. When you start submitting yourself to the discipline of praying the liturgy of the hours, the first thing that you experience is the fact that you can't set your own agenda. Mm. Why? Because you're actually sort of like marching to somebody else's beat. Yeah. So what you're doing is in a way kind of like surrendering mm. your sovereignty over your time Yeah. and recognizing that your time basically is meant to be a gift from God and that your time of prayer is your recognition of that reality and you're giving it back to God. If what Matt is describing sounds radical, it's because there's a conflict between clock time, which is undifferentiated, where each day is basically the same, and liturgical time or sacred time. These are days and times rhythmed or patterned according to the Christian faith, including holy days, liturgical seasons like Lent, and for Catholics like Matt, saints days. Neil Postman, the um, cultural yeah. critic, wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And one of the things that he talks about there is why clocks were invented. And he said that clocks were actually invented to help the monks keep the time for their prayers. Huh. Um, and what had happened over time is that the clock became something that was embedded within the church's life to a reality that kind of became a life of its own yeah. outside of the church and actually ended up becoming a determinant of every facet of life in society. 
uh, a broader way to think about it is that the clock was embedded within the church and the church kind of became the clock for the rest of society. Mm -hmm. In other words, the clock was actually embedded within society and adapted to society's needs. But, you know, as we get towards the modern period, and by modern, I mean something a lot earlier than you realize. So what, uh, like 1500? You're talking about around the 1500s, okay. right? The clock starts to become a reality unto its own. Mm. And rather than the clock being embedded into community and adapting itself to community needs, the community has to end up adapting itself to the clock and its mm. needs. So there is this juxtaposition between what we call clock time and liturgical time. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that clock time has become disembedded from its original intent. As a result of that, we find ourselves leading a life that is constantly accelerating and constantly needing to be filled, mm. um, you know, because clock time is also empty time. Whereas liturgical time, if you look at the, uh, for instance, the liturgical calendar, of which Lent is a part in some churches in the West, every day is some kind of saint's feast day. In other words, every day is kind of like a celebration of a particular saint's birthday and life. In, in their other service words, to God. Correct. Yeah. It's always tied to the life of a person and their service to God. And so that kind of forms the meaning of that particular day. Yeah. Whereas now we live a time where it goes one second, two seconds, three seconds, and all it is are just measures of empty time. Right? Mm. Measures of empty time, which then, of course, as we know, nature abhors a vacuum. And so we are often driven to fill that time. Yeah. And we don't really seem to be aware or care how we fill that time so long as we fill it with something. So we doom scroll. Yeah. Right? So we shop. So we sometimes fidget. Remember the time when fidget toys were a thing? My kids have all these fidget things are now a way of life. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're under like 10 years old, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in a way, those are like little micro practices mm. that are kind of aimed towards filling the time with something. Yeah. And of course, what kind of compounds the angst is that we are driven to fill the time with something, but we do not quite know why we are filling that time with something. We do not know the purpose for which this particular filling of time is oriented towards. Yeah. Whereas in liturgical time, there is always the recognition that not only is time meaningful, but that meaning comes from its being oriented towards the service and praise of God. So is this why prayer in those moments, in those empty, mm -hmm. quote-unquote, moments, mm -hmm. is not simply another distraction? Is no. That, so the no. idea is that it's a retuning, retuning to the reality. Absolutely. Right. Prayer, in a way, is an entry into the deepest reality that we can ever get into, right? The reality that we are a creature of God, our time is not our own, our life is not our own, and because it is coming to us as a gift from God, what we are then called to do is to offer that time, offer that life back into the service of God. So why is it so hard to pray then? <laughs> it can't just be me. It's hard to pray because in a way it's hard to give up our sovereignty. It's hard to give up the idea that we are in charge of our own life. And because it is hard to give up our sovereignty over our own life, it becomes hard to learn to attune ourselves to somebody else's rhythm. And by somebody else here, I'm not just talking about God's time, but I'm also talking about the church's time. Or even more immediately, the time set by a family member. Mm. Right? It can be the time set by our children or the time set by 
our uh, significant others or even like a friend who's having a hard time. Even the friend right? who is having a hard yeah. time, because we continue to uh, want to take charge over our time, it becomes hard to give that up for the sake of another person. Mm. You know, Saint Augustine, the fifth century saint and doctor of the church, talked about sin as a curving in upon oneself, and the curving in upon oneself is. Our own self-aggrandizing attempts to actually take charge of everything in this world, including our lives and our time. So, because we are always constantly curving in about ourselves, it becomes very hard to then、uh, flex ourselves outward so that we are oriented towards the needs of another. Back to Lent, the lead-up to what Matt calls the high point of the liturgical year, Easter. So, the liturgy is a patterning. Of our prayers as a body towards God, the liturgical calendar is a patterning of our time as a body towards God. So Lent is probably one of the most important seasons, but it's not the most important season. The most important season is the endpoint of Lent. Right, which is the tritium of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah,、yep. you're talking about. I guess what I've learned has been called Holy Week. Yes, that's、um, right. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Yeah. Also including Thursday as well, Monday Thursday. So that period of、uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the commemoration of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the high point of the liturgical calendar. So kind of everything in the liturgical calendar points to. That high point of Easter Sunday and the period of celebration of Christ's triumph over death. In the lead up to this interview, I just came across a passage by a Norwegian Benedictine named Erik Vaden, and he talked about the time of Lent as this entry into reality. And one of the realities that we face, he says, is the divide between life and death, and that what we are celebrating in the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ is that. Ultimately, what Christ's resurrection tells us is that it is life. The reality is that it is life that triumphs over death. We are creatures made by God, oriented towards God, and in whom life, not death, has the final say. So, all of this giving up that we have in Lent, all of this, you know, sacrifice that we do in Lent, are meant to help us better enter into that reality. And what the celebration of Easter is about is the celebration of this reality of the triumph of life over death. So the Lenten period is a leaning into the discomfort, the disgrace, the death of Jesus,、mm. and that's kind of maybe the Maundy Thursday part of it and the crucifixion、yep. part.、Mm-hmm. But it's followed by life conquering death yes, in the、right. resurrection. That's right. That is a drama that will take up every facet of our lives, right? Both the good and the bad. But it's also a Reminder to us that all aspects of our life, both the good and the bad, is participating in this larger drama, in which at the end of the day, it is the Lord of Life that actually has the final say. You've been listening to Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, and Justine Toe, who brought us this episode. Yes, and thank you to Matt Tan for schooling me in Lent. Very much appreciated. I'm going to post a link to Matt's socials and Simon's Ash Wednesday piece. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do send it on to someone you think might enjoy it. 
and give us a rating or review. That helps get it out to more people. And thanks, as always, to our producer, someone who's never given up anything, Alan Douthwaite. <laughs> He's given up plenty. He's given up his dignity, hasn't he? <laughs> Listen to how he gets made fun of all the time. Next week. I often find families, even who have no particular faith background, will use words like miracle and miraculous when they have their baby against their chest the first time and they can't believe the miracle of the birth process itself, that this thing was all tucked inside there only moments ago, or just the amazing work of this little person coming into being inside them with every little finger and toe and a whole unique personality to come. 